Hello, you are listening to the Fellow Cast, and today we are starting a brand new season of episodes called Candid Christian Conversations. And my first guest will be Brett Johnson, and he will be discussing the whole land expropriation without compensation issue, the land grabbing issue that we are currently facing in South Africa, and just giving a perspective of what the Bible says and what we as Christians and the church need to be aware of and how we can respond in this specific political climate. And he also gives great insight and wisdom and knowledge on the topic in general. So take a moment to relax and get into a position to receive and be informed by our guest, Brett Johnson. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fellow Cast. And today I have for a second time around, I have Brett Johnson. I'm not going to give him the whole introduction because if you've listened to us before, you would have known or you would know Brett Johnson by now. But today, good morning, Brett. Morning, well, Walter. How are you? I'm very well in yourself. Great. Awesome. That's good. It's good to have you in the, in the office. And Thank that's, you. I'm excited about this topic. I must be honest, I'm not the most informed about it. And that's why we have you here. <laughs> and I think we actually have a lot of people that have questions surrounding expropriation land expropriation without compensation did yeah, i get it right quite correct okay. yeah that's the conversation right awesome and so obviously that this is a, a, around the the land grabbing issue in south africa and mm. and it might be something that happens in in other nations as well but we're obviously talking about south africa and just the principles on owning land and and the distribute distributing of land and so on so you wrote a book on the topic yeah. recently and I know you said that you've already done the second version Correct, and the book yeah. is called this is this land is your land this land is my land so yeah. whose land is it Brett Tell well us. actually yeah, actually, the, the title comes out of a song by a Woody Guthrie who was a protest singer in the United States in the 1940s okay and actually the big song back in the states was uh, america the beautiful it's all fantastic it's great you know that time after the second world war that time and he said like well is it great for everybody was his question like whose yeah. land is it was the the big question and, and there they had their own issues about land ownership and yeah. so on and there are other countries i was just speaking up in namibia last year they have the same issues over about 70% of the land mass in Namibia is owned by people who don't live in the country. Wow. Yeah, so they have a slightly different problem. Sure, yeah. So South Africa has its own challenges, but it's not unique to South Africa, and so we have to see what Scripture says about this topic. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in broad strokes, what is the book all about? You know, What is the message that, that you want to convey through writing this? Because I know a lot of research went into it, a lot of time goes into kind of pre presenting a topic like this, right. especially in the climate that we're in. So, Yeah, the issue is that uh, there are lots of concerned people, people who are concerned about this, uh, people who don't have land, people who do have land, yeah. and uh, everything in between. And then I saw Christians responding to the government's call for input on this topic last yeah. year. It had to be in by mid-June. And uh, uh, but the responses from my perspective were pretty shallow. Okay. They would quote one or two verses, typically the verses around Jubilee, every 50 years you give it back. But what's the government going to do with that? Yeah. And are those the only verses? I was asked to review some submissions to government or mm. to parliament on this topic, and they were really, really light on the scriptural side. And I know there's over 1,500 verses sure. dealing with land and property. And uh, it's a broad topic, 
covered pretty well, but we tend to snatch out one or two things yeah. like return the land every seven or 50 years. And what does that even mean? Yeah. And how do you do that today? So people say, okay, these Christians are whack. They're irrelevant. We can yeah. ignore their perspective yeah. unless we come up with a comprehensive view. And that's what I've tried to do in the book. Okay. I like, I like that approach because I do think a lot of what is Christian gets thrown out because of those lightweight kind of uh, inputs to to these topics we don't actually do our research we don't yeah. actually apply our minds which is part of our makeup our god has made us the intellectual yeah. kind of debate on these things are important even though i don't think everyone operates on that level but praise god for people like you and those who actually take up these yeah. these um, these uh, scenarios and actually mm. look into it to find solutions because i, I i'm as i've read i haven't finished the book but as far as i've read you can hear the heart behind it as well. It's really to find solution. It's really right. to present solution, yeah. not to yeah. to throw stones or have an issue with what's happening. Quite correct, yeah. And there's a lot of heat around it right yeah. now. It's a very emotional issue. It's a good one from a political perspective because if you tell the voters, oh, you're all going to get free land, yeah. it sounds great. Yeah. Uh, but that's what happened over 20 years ago. You know, People had big expectations. They've been disappointed. And so you can't actually do something that's unrealistic. And so it's emotional on both sides yeah. because people are connected to land. And they love land, yeah. whether they've been here f 300 years or 200 years or, you know, longer. So it is an emotional issue as well. So yeah. we do have to approach it from a, a good perspective. You know, one of the reasons why people can't give much of a response on this is, frankly, we don't hear many sermons on these kind of topics. Mm. And back in the old days in the U.S., when the U.S. was being formed, if a bridge fell down, there would be a sermon on construction and quality assurance. Yeah. I mean, this week, a few days ago, a three-story school collapsed in Lagos. Sure. You know, so there should be sermons around construction and other things. And, and these things found their way into the early writings of the Constitution and, and the legal framework in the U.S. because, you know, are you preaching the gospel if you're not actually, what is good news to somebody who doesn't have a piece of land or somebody who has worked to develop a piece of land? What is good news to, what is the gospel to them to in them, that yeah. context? So in other words, we need to kind of just get out of the you must be saved thing and into or how to have a great life and actually talk about these issues. Yeah. And so it's no wonder that people are uninformed because, you know, we don't do the thinking on the topic. Yeah, that's true. You mentioned something in there with the, uh, people are connected to land, and I, I remember reading something somewhere in your mm. in your writings about it's in our DNA. Uh, yeah, quite correct. I, I think of this. There's two topics that I've seen that really grab people at a gut level. One is money, and the other is land. Yeah. It's quite interesting. And I think on the land one, it's um, because we are actually having a longing for heaven. Yeah. We don't know it, but our longing for a place in the Western Cape or Melkbos or the Free State or whatever, are longing for a piece of land. And it's it's kind of built into de our desire. When God spoke about the nation of Israel, the promised land, every man would sit under his own vine. And yeah. there's this concept of, you know, you'll have your piece of land. And actually that was a means of production. So when they actually set up the nation of Israel, everybody got a piece of land or a house in the city which mm, could mm. include a blacksmith shop or something like that except the pastors Waldo so I'm sorry about you <laughs> and the other the guys no, they, yeah, they <laughs> the building where you preach yeah but the rest of the guys they actually got something right yeah. and um, <laughs> so and everybody had not just a house it wasn't a case of saying okay I have a house on 2nd Avenue it was I have an income producing asset from which I can feed my family and make provision okay yeah. 
So just in, in terms of we, we've covered the big word, expropriation without compensation. So to, to I know we're going to talk about it mu much more, but to to kind of, for those who are not so brushed up on their politics or the whole issue, yeah. what is the ground level of this whole land issue? What is the real issue here? What's, what's happening in South Africa? What do we... Right. Yeah. So yeah. what's happened is that historically in the constitution, it says that the government can expropriate land with fair compensation. So there's provision made that um, if the government needs land to put up a wind farm or... Um, to do something with that land. Many governments have what they call a right of eminent domain. So they can take over a piece of land for good reason. Okay. The intention was, okay, there's been an inequitable distribution of land in South Africa historically, and some of that land was acquired justly through fair contract, and some of it was just granted by the government. And when Simon van der Stel or whomever granted a piece of land to some guy, Actually, there were already people living on the land. It yeah. was somebody else's wasn't land. wasn't his to give away. It wasn't his to give away. And so uh, you, it raises several questions. So if somebody can prove, you know, this was actually our land, it wasn't then provision is there in the Constitution for the government to buy out that land and to return it to the rightful owner. Yeah. What's happened is uh, there's been a lot of land purchased by the government but not distributed. So it's sitting with the government. Okay. And it's interesting when the framers of the American Constitution put their Constitution together, there was no clause for eminent domain because they'd come out of Europe where the kings and the queens and the landed gentry claimed the lands. Yeah. So they said, that's not going to happen again. So actually, that's not allowed for in the U.S. Constitution, but it does happen at the state level. So okay. if the state of Tennessee or the state of California decides to do it, they can do it. But it wasn't actually envisaged by the founding fathers. In South Africa, it is to try to redress the issue of inequitable land distribution. Okay. Okay, and then I, I think you, you write a lot about um, stewardship, not ownership. Okay, let me touch just a little bit more on that topic, Walter. So what happens, it's there in the Constitution. Yeah. So what they want to do now is change the Constitution to say we can take the land without compensation. So now if you own a house in Milkbos, and this is all property, could be intellectual property, could be a factory, could be a farm. Even intellectual property? Yeah, wow. any, any property. Sure. So they want to change the law that says they can take anybody's property without payment. Wow. I didn't, that I didn't know. I thought it was physical no, land no, no, that you live it's on. It's any property. Wow. So it could be your factory, could be a farm, could be a piece of land that you live on, could be your business, could be um, a patent that you filed. Wow. So they've, the ANC is pushing through right now to say they're going to change, they want to change the law. It goes to the next phase. And there will be no need to pay compensation. Now, what that does is it sets up the country for uh, various things. One is entitlement, yeah. and the other is for corruption. Now, we've already just come out of a huge season of corruption, which is costing us with load shedding and all sorts of other things. Mm. If you put that power in the hands of a government, the probability that it'll be misused is super high. And so it's dangerous from that perspective. Yeah. yeah. And it's also just not just. So those who are opposed to it uh, in parliament or in government are saying, no, we already have an act that allows for expropriation, but with compensation. Yeah. And so to, to wipe that away. But obviously it's, it was put on the table by the EFF, and it's politically popular. If you can go out and say, hey, everybody's going to get something, we'll yeah. take it. 
we'll take it from particularly from from white uh, owners uh, and then we'll redistribute it it's just that politicians don't often either don't have a good track record or the uh, good skills in yeah. in land redistribution now there is a case in scripture for land redistribution which we can talk about but mm. yeah so you had a question about ownership and stewardship yeah i think i guess that boils down to what the bible really says about it but but what is the you know what does the what are, what does the Bible say about this whole thing? What are, I know you said there's about uh, um, mm. eight hundred scriptures or a thousand scriptures, fifteen hundred, fifteen hundred <laughs> scriptures, <laughs> lots of <them>. <laughs> on, yeah. on land. So yeah. w- what is the the broad kind of uh, statements that the Bible make uh, yeah. along these lines? Yeah. So I think you can look at it uh, through several frameworks, right? Obviously, in Eden, God made everything; it was His. There was no concept of land ownership, simply of stewardship. So yeah. Adam and Eve were created to steward land, not just to keep God happy, like you know, God needed a puppy or something. Yeah. I mean, He had plenty of angels; He had heavenly hosts. No, He made Adam and Eve to work the land. Yeah. That's what He did. So they had a stewardship responsibility. There was no concept of ownership, except that everything was God's. Yeah. So then, what happens? Fast forward, the nations develop the outline of the nations. Uh, the Abraham and and son end up in Egypt for four hundred years. The nation of Israel comes out. Now God is setting up the promised land. So what happens? And God says, there's two perspectives. One is, the land is mine. You don't get to sell the land, the land is mine, mm. which is interesting. So from God's perspective, 100% of the land is his. But between you and me, your five hectares is yours, yeah. and my three hectares is mine. So between you and me, I respect your property rights. Between you and God, you regard it as something that you're looking after for yes. God. So there's this dual perspective in Scripture. Yeah, there's the stewardship, ownership thing. Because that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the statement you make that you say that it's not about owning, owning land, it's about stewarding yeah. what's been given. And, and then going on, a, like, what am I stewarding? Why am I stewarding it? Yeah. It's to add to the economy, it's to add to those around me, and it's also to make a living, right? Quite correct, yeah. So the idea was that in the promised land, everybody would have a means of production. Now, God's not stupid, so he knows that some people are better than others. I yeah. mean, you come from four generations of farmers. You were a really good farmer in Egypt. I'm a blacksmith, right? I get a pair, piece of land. Uh, you are just doing really, really well. Your grapes are growing, your crops are growing, and my stuff looks like, you know, <laughs> terrible, right? And so... Um, so then God says, what's going to happen? I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, Waldo, can you give me a hand, right? Mm. And so you say, okay, Brett, I'll tell you what. I mean, clearly you're, a, you're an accountant. What do you know about growing millies? You know nothing, right? So you work for me for the next five years or the next six or seven years up until the year of Jubilee. You work for me under my management. I'll manage your farm for yeah. you, right? And I will pay you. Uh, you'll be like an indentured servant to me. And hopefully, by the end of the five years, you'll be smart enough to run your own mealy patch, yeah, right? You've so learned something. Yeah. I've learned something, right? So that was the principle of Jubilee. We have this crazy notion as Christians that at Jubilee, everybody just got everything back. There was a reset button, like yeah. you have a reset on your computer. It's written off. Everything gets written off, boom, 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 you start again. Actually, there was an earn-out philosophy over there. Why? Because you, with your farming expertise, were upskilling me. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so and you upskilled me, and if after five years I was dumb, right? I was just not going to do <laughs> not it. Not going to work. Right? Okay, then I could say to you, Waldo, tell you what, 
let's do another seven years. Or I'll tell you what, I, will, I, I really like that I get my wages on a Friday, that I have a nice house next yeah. to the river, that I used to, I will work w- for you forever. So that was a possibility, yeah. right? But actually God's built into the Jubilee thing wasn't just debt cancellation, but it was national upskilling. It was yeah. like a CETA program for Jewish boykies who weren't such good yeah. farmers. And that just shows you how God's b- business principles had come into play, so to speak, yeah. because it's always, it's from glory to glory. Exactly. Uh, there shouldn't be a, yeah. now, like you say, we reset and we start from scratch yeah. and we have to do everything, yeah. learn everything over again. Yeah. And I guess in that, the whole thing of honoring is very important to honor the the skills that have that have come through generations right. you know exactly. I, I know in biblical times people were, were named after what they did you correct know? so so yeah. the occupation defined yeah how they would be known as a yeah. blacksmith or a candle yeah. maker or whatever so the land redistribution in zim for example there were a couple of guys down from zimbabwe we had our executive intensive last week and um they said you go out into the rural areas and i flew over zimbabwe last year you know from one yeah. side to the other and uh, you look down and you see these massive farms with terraces and everything in place, overgrown. And then for a, a hectare or three around a farmhouse, there's some millies. So most of it is just unused. Yeah. In fact, and it's terrible stewardship, right? Mm. But that's what happened over there. So some guy went and fought a war in the Congo. They gave him a farm. What happens to it? Nothing. So it's completely the antithesis of the Jewish principle of Jubilee that mm. says, I'm going to upskill my neighbor so that he can be a better farmer. Yeah. And so sure. so I think we've got the Jubilee thing very, very wrong. Mm. Yeah. So the ownership stewardship thing is a big deal. So, And then even if you look at Abraham, Abraham, you know, the father of the faith, he didn't take the land. He bought land. You know, mm. he went, he went in and he actually purchased the land and then the other thing i would say so you've got god owns everything it's all his but there's property rights between you and me yeah uh, there's the principle that you could help me upskill or you could buy me out then there's two other principles i would say are pretty important the one is that god has the right to redistribute land not government mm. and he does it from an unfaithful steward to a faithful steward yeah. We see this in the parables of the talents, mm. for example. So God's saying, like, and they say, look, hold on, we're going to take it from the guy who's got one and give it to the guy who's got five. It's like, what? That's not fair. It's like the opposite of land redistribution. Yeah. We're going to take it from a rubbish farmer, from Brett, and we're going to give it to Waldo. Yeah. Why would you do that? Well, yeah. it's a principle of faithfulness, God getting a return and so on. And this e- even happened at a national level. So when you look at the prophets in the book of Isaiah and other places, and they say, look, you leaders have done a horrible job with the country I gave you. So I'm going to have a foreign king come in and take over the mm. place. So God has the right to redistribute from one steward to another, mm. to a better steward, yeah. if you like. So we have a real onus upon ourselves to learn to be good stewards. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The other piece that I would say, Waldo, on the land ownership is what about foreigners? Mm. This is an interesting question. The alien in the land. The alien in the land. The alien, the foreigner, and so mm. on. It's quite interesting. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 14, where it talks about one of the passages talking about what do you do with your tithe. 
it talks about the fact that you need to remember the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. Mm. So the xenophobia thing, uh, and and it, there's kind of a spirit behind the South African rhetoric on land redistribution that says we are the South Africans. Yeah. So you have to go back and say, well, who are the South Africans? The Khoisan. The Khoisan were the original South Africans. Mm. But you don't hear a lot of talk in Parliament about let's give this back to the Khoisan. They're mm. being marginalized in this whole process. Mm. So that's the first thing. Secondly, do foreigners get land rights? So early in Scripture, it actually talks about foreigners not owning land in Israel. But if you go to Ezekiel, it talks about foreigners owning land. And you actually see land restitution to foreigners mm. in the nation of sure. Israel. Wow. Yep. So there's a real... God says, remember this... You are foreigners on earth. God's perspective is we are foreigners. Yeah. We, are, we all have to the mindset of this is not our permanent home. So we have to have the mindset of a foreigner. Secondly, it's incumbent upon a government to take care of foreigners. Mm. So in any land redistribution plan, you still have to take care of foreigners. foreigners okay, yeah. so who's a foreigner? If you claim that a person without a black or a brown skin is a foreigner, so what do you do? Mm. They can own land. You have to take care of them. In fact, you even take a percentage of your tithe to take care of them. Say so if we have Malawians, Zimbabweans, or go back a bit further. What about the Dutch? What about the Germans? What about the French Huguenots? What about the people who were escaping religious persecution mm. to come here? Mm. Um, and they ended up here. What about the Moravians who came as missionaries or the... Um, the Rhenish missionaries, whoever it might be. I mean, people as foreigners. So the question, the concept of the foreigner being taken well care of means that you cannot say, I'm a black-skinned African and somebody who's not a black-skinned African has no rights in the land. Yeah. You cannot say that from a biblical perspective. Yeah. I mean, you just said that there's a whole misconception behind that whole conversation of who's who's actually... Uh, residents and who's who's foreigners and 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 yeah. I think if that can be clear, and also I, I just I think it's clear and it's evident that there's a taking hold of a principle that seems nice, but it's just uh, completely um, lived out in the wrong way for for all the wrong purposes. You know, it's, yeah. I, I'm just going to take what needs to be taken. I'm going to give it because that's what should happen instead of looking at the future, looking at the past, looking at what needs to happen now, yeah. instead of just, well, this is what the rule book says, so yeah. we're doing this, and we don't care how it's going to end up with a farm with just uh, an hectare of crops mm -hmm. and not mm -hmm. actually adding mm -hmm. adding to the rest of the economy. Yeah, there can be a lot of unintended consequences yeah. with this stuff. I mean, it's... Um, and that can happen on any topic, but I think on the land topic, it's 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 easy to have an emotional response. Mm. Um, and there are there are hundred percent there are instances in South Africa where land was taken unfairly, and where it needs to be returned. Yeah. The question is, what's the role of government in this, and um, how do they ensure that it's not just taking a piece of land from A and giving it to B, but making sure that B's properly skilled, yeah. equipped, supported. Yeah whether it's through agricultural colleges or through business training or through whatever it might be, how do you empower, you know, hundreds and thousands of uh, black and brown farmers 
to do what they want to do. Look, mm. I, I don't believe the rhetoric that says, oh, the blacks don't want to farm. No, people like to have a piece of land. Yeah. They like to do something. And it might be a five-hectare farm or it might be a 50 or a 5,000-hectare farm. Yeah. And that's, you know, different people have different capacities, but the fact is people want to farm and there are successful, what we would call colored or brown skin or, or black farmers. Mm. There's, no, there's no question about that. Mm. And they have a history with that. So, you know, you cannot sit as a white person and say, oh, they don't know how to farm. The fact is, from God's perspective, if we're looking at what's in the best interest of the nation, you will need farmers of all colors with all sorts of capabilities. And there needs to be a cross-skilling mechanism in place yeah. yeah so what i'm hearing you say and you can you can correct me if i'm wrong in in terms of the only thing that really justifies recompensation without oh sorry mm. that's the whole land grabbing yeah okay. <laughs> let me dumb it down because otherwise i'll fall over my words but the only thing that that justifies that is really like you said that if like that principle of the bad steward if something has been worked badly that it can actually be Look, you know, yeah, there's the, there's the poor stewardship is one thing, and the other is injustice because yeah. God hates injustice. Yeah. So it's quite interesting. And a case study on this is the Shunammite woman. And you probably remember she was the woman. She didn't have a kid. The prophet comes along. What does she need? She has a baby. Next thing, fast forward, uh, the kid dies, right? Mm. And so now she's quite upset because the prophet told her she'd have the kid now the kid so then she she goes to send for the prophet the prophet sends the servant she says no way i want to speak to the boss right so then the <laughs> prophet shows up and so you know prophet lies on the kid kid comes the whole yeah. story yeah, right yeah. but anyway that's that's the the child part of the story but then the shunammite woman disappears and heads off to a foreign country because there's a um there's problems in the land. There was a drought. Yeah. And so off she goes. She comes back years later. Now she wants her land back. But she's left the country. Yeah. And somebody else is now using the land. So it just so happens that um, the servant of the prophet happens to be chatting to the king about, the king says, like, tell me about Elijah, you know, all the cool yeah. stuff he did. Oh, yeah. Then there was the Shunammite woman, and this is what happened. And boom, lo and behold, as he's telling the story, the time ago, in, and he says, here's the woman, in walks the woman. <laughs> and she wants her land back. And what does the king say? The king says, okay, you get your land back, and you get the profit that the land has produced for all the years that you've been gone. Wow. I mean, this is... Bonus. As bonus, it's restitution, yeah. it's fair compensation, and somebody took her. Okay, the widow's gone. Fair enough. I'll just take the farm. Yeah. Well, it wasn't his to take. Yeah. It's God's land, and it's her land. Between the guy and her, it's her land. Yeah. She comes back. She's, she doesn't have political clout. She's a widow. She's been out of town. She went and lived in the UK for however many years. Now she comes back, and some the she farmer. Wants house back. <laughs> she wants her house back, and the farmer next door is taking it over and says, yeah. "Look, no, I've been putting the fertilizer. I've been doing that." The king says she gets the land back and all the profit you've made for the last however wow, many years. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, justice is one thing. Yeah, stewardship, because stewardship can be subjective, uh, but then also the the concept of ownership is critical. I mean, the difference between the economy of Egypt and the Promised Land is that Joseph, whether intentionally or not, I don't know, this one I'm going to ask when I get to heaven, mm. I suspect it was intentional. 
So Egypt is thriving, it's doing fine, has some great years, everybody's like looking great, they get new SUV and all this kind of stuff, it's great. And then comes the drought. Yeah. And then people are getting more desperate, right? And in the later part of the, the drought, they are now giving their, their land to the government yeah. in exchange for food just for survival. So now what happens? You have an economy where the government owns all the land. Yeah. God sets up the nation of Israel and said, it's not going to be like that. The economy is going to be completely different. It's not going to be a centralized economy where the land is owned by the government. Yeah. And I think Joseph intentionally crippled the entrepreneurship in Egypt. That's my view. Well, I don't know. Yeah. We, we don't know. We don't know from Scripture. But, yeah. but look at it. When you take away land ownership from people, you neuter their entrepreneurship. Sure, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of Egyptians and they're entrepreneurial. But when you, when you say all the land belongs to the government, you kind of send up a socialist or a communist kind of yeah. and then the government owns everything. And so what's the incentive to yeah. take care of the land? So you basically cripple the economy. Wow. But God says, look, in Egypt, it's not going to be like that. So having a handful of people or the government is even worse. Having the government own the land is the worst case scenario. Mm. Having just a few people own chunks of it, as we see in Namibia, not a good thing either. Mm. In the promised land, you actually have many, many, many people owning land according to their capacity. Mm. So then how do we grow the capacity of people? Yeah, that's true. So so the the, the difference then between restitution and redistribution, what, like what is the, the yeah, key? Yeah, there's a huge difference yeah. there, right? Yeah, because redistribution is... Uh, taking from the haves and giving to the have-nots. Mm. That's the philosophy. And it's kind of the view of what some would say is left-wing politics, um, which says, okay, you know, the people who have, we must take from them and give to the people who don't have. And uh, It's the Robin it, Hood. It's a Robin Hood thing. And in some respects, it's, it's the tax system works that way because, you know, the people who, who earn the most, they get taxed. Yeah. And then the services are provided to people who, who don't earn they that don't much. Earn so it. there is some of that inherent in the tax system and, and in the role of government. But it's one thing to tax somebody on the profit from their business. It's another thing to take away the business. Mm. And so what I'm worried about with this discussion about land expropriation without compensation is the spirit of entitlement that gets let loose in the nation. Mm. So no sooner had Ramaphosa talked about this in his State of the Nation address last year than there was fighting breaking out in Mitchell's Plain. Sure, already. Yeah. Now, this wasn't... This wasn't colored people fighting white people and say we were in the Cape first. This was black people from the Eastern Cape and elsewhere saying to the local colored people, no, we want your house. Yeah. We're not talking about a farm in the Free State. We're talking about your house in Mitchell's Plain. I mean, it was warfare there. Mm. And so what happens? If, I, if the president got up and said, we've changed the laws around marriage. Everybody's wife is fair game. Can you imagine what would happen? There'd be a lot of fighting. <laughs> There'd be a lot of fighting, and there would be no, there would be no consequence mm -hmm. if I took your wife or you took three, whatever. I mean, it's a horrible thought. Yeah. But you let loose that same spirit in a nation when you make these politically expedient proclamations mm -hmm. without a solid biblical framework behind it. What do you? But what do you think in terms of? That's a great point. With you know. People even taking houses. Yeah. I think in terms of a 
South African mindset. I think a lot of people are thinking in terms of farms and it's, it's somewhere far away, you know, in Bloemfontein yeah. or maybe in Stellenbosch. How do you see this playing out for us in like a small town like like Melkbos or you know wherever you live? Do yeah. you do you really think that it is something that can possibly escalate to a place? And it's not to bring fear. That's not what you're doing. Yeah, but to, like to be realistic <laughs> about if a law is instituted and passed, do you think you know that can be the the yeah kind of end result? Yeah, like I think there can be various unintended consequences of this thing. Um, I don't think that that would happen at that level. I don't think so. Um, uh, But you do put the framework in place. Somebody would have to make a case. Somebody would have to say, we were the indigenous fishermen of Melkbos, Mm. and we lived here, and we are the Plykes family, and now we happen to be up in Port Nolith, wherever it might be. But... But here we are, and here's our proof that where the Dumhase is and where this was, and so yeah. th- this was our fishing ground. And then along came whomever, and they took it, and they did whatever, and so we want it back, right? Yeah. So they could make a case, and if the, if, if the the government decided they've got a good case, then there goes milk was. Redistribute. Right. <laughs> and there's no issue of how we're going to pay for it. Yeah. If, you, if the law gets changed, there's no issue of how you're going to pay for it. Yeah. Now... Why do I think this won't happen is um, because uh, you property rights are inherent in a vibrant economy. So you've got this governing factor that said we somehow need to keep the economy vibrant. And if we begin to do that, then we're going to destroy the foundation of the economy. Yeah. So there's an economy. You can forget the spiritual arguments. You can forget the heritage arguments. And you can just look at... In an economy, is land ownership important for economic development? And it is. Mm. Uh, it was in medieval Europe. It was the case in um, in different nations. So if you draw a line in the across the continent and say, what's the difference between the United States of America and Mexico? Why is Mexico relatively poor and the U.S. well-developed? Mm. In Mexico, you don't get to own land. Sure. And, I mean, even local Mexicans... It's owned by the government. Mm. It's owned by the crown. It's got that thing. So what do you have? You don't have a basis for entrepreneurial development because you can't have a house and then you take that you pay off your mortgage bit by bit. Then you take two hundred thousand rand out of your house. You do a you know a line of credit or a, uh, a home loan, mm. and you use it to start your little business printing surface T-shirts in Melkbos yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but because you have no way, yeah. because the government owns the land. So the ability to generate capital yeah. off capital is not there when you don't have land ownership. So yeah. I don't think it would happen, but I do think that um, it's dangerous to even put it out there because it furthers the entitlement mentality, which unfortunately is rife in South Africa. Mm. Yeah, I was just about to go there, so you you actually jumped jumped ahead, and I think I think you've mentioned most of the kind of the the um, gaping consequences that we might face. And I, I really, I want to know from you, someone who's, who's done the research, who's really been in, engaged in, in finding solutions and seeing it from both sides. What is our, as Christians then, in this kind of climate, what, what should our position be? Say, for instance, the, the law does get passed. Yeah. What, what, what do we do? What is our stand? What do, what do, how do we re- still represent God um, in, in this whole 
climate, so to speak? Yeah, well, I think we have a responsibility, several things. I mean, I think at the national level, politicians, and this applies as you trickle down, um, we need to understand what is the purpose of a nation. From God's perspective, what is the purpose of South Africa on the African continent or the Southern Africa within Southern Africa? And then, um, and what is God's purpose for the nation? Mm. Then the question becomes, how do you deploy assets in support of the purpose? So what assets does South Africa have? And uh, I think one has to relook at almost like a national registry of assets mm. because um, it's very easy to make emotive decisions or emotional decisions uh, based on hearsay or lack of knowledge. So what does South Africa have in its hands, asset-wise? Land, resources, energy, people, culture, diversity of culture, which is fast getting eroded. The promise of South Africa in 1994 was a rainbow nation, people of different stars and stripes working together and so on. And now mm. it's becoming more and more tribal, frankly, uh, whether your tribe is a political party or a race group. Sure. And so you have to, you have to look at the assets you have. And then say, okay, God, what is your purpose for this nation? Then how do you steward the assets and deploy the assets in support of the purpose? So um, if it becomes me protecting my three hectares so that you don't grow your five hectares, then we've lost it. Mm. If it becomes how do we deploy our eight hectares in support of God's purposes, then we have a possibility. So we have to rekindle stewardship. Uh, we have to light a fire under this question of purpose what is the purpose of south africa and if the purpose of south africa is simply focused on the past oh we have to right the wrongs of the past and all of the energy goes into righting the wrongs of the past without creating a vision of the f mm. future for south africans as a combined group of people then it's a problem you mm. don't you don't make progress looking to the back and you'll continue to blame what's happened in the past rather than saying, look, we have a lot of awesome stuff here. How do we move forward? The whole question of, of upskilling is a big deal uh, and we have to figure out how do we empower people? I mean, and this doesn't just apply to South Africans. Mm -hmm. We have many skilled Zimbabweans, entrepreneurial Zimbabweans who've left their country out of desperation who could get equipped here to go back. I speak to Zimbabweans working at coffee shops in Melkbos and say, what do you want to do? I want to go back and have a chicken farm. Well, I want to go back. Well, then they need to be working for a chicken farmer, yeah. not making trained up. Yeah, not making espressos yeah. or whatever. So how do we, instead of bleating and buying about the foreigners who are in the country, how do we empower them to go back to their nation, to mm. Malawi, to Kenya, to wherever? How do we become an equipping and sending nation? If we're so smart, why can't we equip the foreigners among us to go back with viable businesses? If you're a good chicken farmer or a t-shirt printer or a carpenter or whatever, why not equip people and empower them so that they can go back and actually do something yeah. where they come from? I love that because that that is the church. That is the church as God intended it to equip the saints, to yeah. to equip people and and I, I hear what you said in the beginning as well in terms of, you know, teaching these things to the church yeah. about these relevant topics. And because if my people perish because of a lack of knowledge and, and if there's no knowledge and, and then the other side is that without, without vision, the people perish. Right. So to, to be in a place where 
we are casting vision for what God is saying for yeah. the nation, what God is saying for individuals. Yeah. Because if individuals don't know they want to be chicken farmers or they were made to be chicken farmers, it, it all dies there already. Mm -hmm. there, there's no use in having this grand vision. Yeah. But the people don't know what their role is to play. And I guess that's what I'm asking for Christians. You know, how should we pray? How do we intercede? What do? How do we mobilize to not allow what's coming from the outside to change the plan and the purpose that God God has for us. And, yeah. and I love how you yeah. are you putting it in terms of equipping and yeah. Look, I mean, where there has been um, wrongful seizing of land in the past, that has to be put right. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that has to be dealt with. So injustice. There's, there's an injustice that has to be dealt with. Secondly, we have to put right what is the role of government. It's not the role of government to own tons of land. Mm. That's not the purpose of government. It's the role of government to ensure that the assets of a nation get deployed profitably for the benefit of all people. Mm. And so, and that's fair, but simply taking, redistribution is taking from one to give to another without thinking about how do I grow the value of the national asset. Mm. I also think if I'm sitting as the, um, as a member of parliament or the president uh, or whatever, there are times when you have to make a hard choice, which is what's for the good of the nation versus the good of the individual. Mm. So it might be that, um, you know, my family actually did own a farm in downtown, the central business district in Cape Town. Yeah. Well, I can't realistically give that back. But if I can fairly prove, I mean, I can't now stop the traffic on Adley Street yeah. and so on. But if I can, we can deal with compensation. We can deal with something. But then I have to say, no, you know, where the train station is, where Adley Street, this is actually a national asset that is for the good of the nation. And, yeah. and we, so you have to sometimes do what's for the good of the nation above the individual. Yeah. But God still has the rights of the individual in his heart. So Absolutely. you have to deal with that paradox. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would love the farm where my dad was born. It would be. I would love to get it back. Yeah. But it, it was in Seapoint, <laughs> between Main Road and High Level Road. You get a putt putt course now or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just like houses and blocks of flats yeah. and all this kind of stuff. It's not going to happen, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I say that as a joke, but the reality is that um, that government needs to look at its role, mm. and its role is not to hold land or to seize land. Because with that, in fact, if you go back to um, the installation of kings, God says, okay, here's the deal. When I restore a nation, there's going to be an independent ju judiciary. So we won't have public prosecutors, high court judges, and so forth corrupt. I'm going to put in independent judges like in the old days, yeah. independent from you. So that's the first one of the things. The next thing is that God says, okay, so you want a king. You want to make, you know, King Bob or whoever it might be, you're going to make this person a king. This is what the king has to do. The king is not allowed to amass a lot of land. They're not allowed to get a lot of horses. They're not allowed to get a lot of wives. The king has to write out by hand the law, the first five books of the Bible, by hand, yeah. and they need to carry it around with them and read it every single day. Yeah. This is the requirement. So you want to be king? Start writing, right? And you get to know those laws as you write them letter for letter, word yeah. for word, and you th because you're thinking about it. In other words, you're, 
as you're going to be governing, you're shaped by the Word of God, mm. and you're doing so submitted to the Word of mm. God. My problem with Christians is that we bleat and we wail about, ah, oh, the government shouldn't do this. Yeah. But if you, you picked a hundred Christians at random who are regular churchgoers, and you said, okay, tell us what the Scripture says about this topic, whatever it might be, in this case the land expropriation thing, they wouldn't be able to say anything or mm. not too much. Yeah. That's true. I mean, I confessed in the beginning even, you know, we, we're very much uninformed when it comes to these things because ignorance is bliss sometimes. you yeah. Someone else will, will fight that battle. Yeah. Or we can't just throw the the little scripture around and say, well, that's yeah. that's what we believe. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not making a point, as you say, that the you know the Dutch farmers or the French Huguenots or whatever should keep their land. I'm not making a point that all the land should go back to black people. I'm saying, look, no. Um, figure out what the principles are in Scripture and make sure that whatever you do is consistent yeah. with, with what Scripture says. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just, and I'm stuck on the whole kind of ch- church role that we need to play in, in this whole thing because I do think it's something that's that's important to to kind of grab a hold of. Um, and the key for me is that whole steward stewardship thing. Um, yeah. and, and something that I actually read yesterday and uh, it's a church in America that I've been involved with that they actually have taken so much stewardship within the city that they are in mm-hmm. that there were cops that were going to be laid, laid off because of budget constraints. Mm-hmm. They actually paid for these guys yeah. to stay on. Um, there was a civic center that was going to get scrapped because it wasn't uh, yeah. generating anything and they took it over and and made it a non-profit and just out of the the heart of serving yeah. those around them and it's and it's not necessarily the christians that they're serving they're serving the city they're serving, serving the, the city yeah. and i think that's the heart that we as christians as the church need to have is that not what can we get but what do we have to give yeah. in in this situation that that we not that we won't be affected as much if yeah. if if our attitude is not entitled yeah. well i need to get my piece because yeah. i'm i'm owed it yeah. instead of going i actually have something to give because of the supernatural grace of god yeah. on the church yeah. and and then see that lived out it can completely turn it around in my yeah. mind at least yeah look i know farmers in south africa and they're wonderful people the f- people that i know and they are good stewards of the land mm. But that's not all that God calls them to be good stewards of. Mm. I also know farmers who are recognizing, oh, I have a responsibility to steward the people that work with me on the land and work for me on the land. So there are farmers who are doing shared ownership schemes. They're giving a percentage of the ownership of the farm to their workers. What are they doing? They're growing owners. And that's what we do. In the promised land, we take people from being slaves to being sons. Sons. So how do you, uh, if you're a farmer, if you're growing vegetables, whatever, say, okay, I'm not just growing vegetables. I'm growing people who begin to think and act like owners, Mm. not as entitled people but people they begin so it turns yeah it turns slaves into sons and if my stewardship is not just for my you know 100 hectares of grapes in Stellenbosch but for the people who've been working that land and how do I grow those people if we get our heart right on that question because God's not going to just ask the farmer okay you know Mr. Pinar, what did you do with the 300 hectares of yeah. protea or whatever? He's going to ask, what did you do with the 30 families the people. who lived in that? How did you grow them? How did you equip them for eternity? How did you do? I mean, when you get into that kind of situation, 
when there's a change of heart. So I think if you go backwards, I mean, I've often, you know, the question is how far do you go back to determine when is somebody a foreigner, you know, when does somebody become indigenous from me, all that kind of stuff. You mm. can, you know, how far back do you draw the line? And I've had, I've had uh, colored people ask, uh, say, causes or Zulus or whatever, okay, so... But who was there before you? You yeah. know, and that's the Nando's view on South Africa. <laughs> you know, the Nando's ad that yeah. you remember, right? But the but the point is, at some point, we become stewards for the country jointly. Yeah, we become steward for the lands, but not just for the land, for the business, for the intellectual property, for the resources under the ground, mm. for the people. So. The question is, over the last 25 years, over the last however many hundred years, have we grown the people assets, which is what's going to last for eternity? Have we grown them mm. out of being employees to being owners? Now, you can go back to before Jan van Riebeck set foot in this place. The Khoisan had a vibrant economy. Mm. They did have economy. They did have cattle. Now, they were more migrant in some senses, but the fact is they did business. Yeah. It wasn't just a bunch of savages who were doing nothing. Same thing in India. Mm. You know, It's not like the Indians showed up and, and the, the, in, the British showed up and the Indians didn't know what they were doing. No, they had a vibrant economy, yeah. which got destroyed by the British or by with the Dutch. With another idea. Yeah, with another idea for another purpose, right? Mm. So it's not that people don't have in their DNA to be entrepreneurial, to be good stewards, to to know how to work the land and so on. So mm. we have to get rid of this notion like, oh, well, they didn't know what they're doing. Then yeah. we, we came along and we sorted it all out. We have to stand humbly before God and say we are all made in the image of God. Mm. Now, and he's going to ask us, what did we do with the people? What did we do with the land? What did we do with the resources? If we don't have that view, I mean, I believe that Africa is under threat of a new wave of asset colonization. Mm. So you're not going to have the Germans coming and planting a flag or the Portuguese or the French. It's too unpopular to do that. It's politically incorrect. Yeah. But they will come and buy the resources. Yeah. They'll take the resources. They'll map the resources. Uh, the Chinese are doing it, but they're not the only ones are doing it. American companies are doing it. European companies are doing it. The economic colonization will continue unless the peoples of a nation step into their responsibility mm. for stewardship. Sure. And the leaders of countries will sell off the assets for personal enrichment rather than for the blessing of the nation. Mm. In other words, my belief is that God places in every nation the resources that are needed to bless that nation and to bless, have them be a blessing to other nations. Mm. These are, this is agricultural, mineral, water, people, and so forth. So now, the leaders of the country can pawn those off to for self-enrichment. They can sell their diamonds off to the Chinese or in Mozambique, their forests to the Chinese, or whatever it might be, their hardwoods. They can either do that or they can say, how do we steward national assets to bless our people? All people in our nation mm. and other nations. This gets to this gets to the role of government, servant leadership, and the purpose yeah. of a nation. Sure, Brett. Uh, I really um, I've enjoyed talking to you about this topic. I think there's. I mean, we could probably still go on, or you at least can still <laughs> go on for a for a, a, a long while. But do you have any last thoughts that you would just like to share on on this whole issue um, that you would want to leave the listener with? Yeah, get informed. Right. Um, you have no right as a Christian to complain about what's happening on a particular area if you don't at least get informed. Mm. We talk about my people perish for lack of vision. I mean, 
for lack of understanding, for lack of knowledge, we're led into captivity. Uh, if the government goes down a path and we have not been informed enough to be able to have a quality conversation around this. I'm not saying they're going to listen to you, but you have a responsibility to seek this thing out. So in the book, I've listed a subset of the 1,500 or so scriptures. Yeah. Read them, understand them, ask God to enlighten you yeah. on this topic. So first thing is get informed. Yeah. Then the second thing is uh Look at your own heart. Are you viewing things as an owner where you're protecting what you have or a steward where you're going to try to give Jesus a good return on his investment? Yeah, sure. And so I'd say that's the second thing to look at. And then the third thing is when you evaluate what you have, how do you help somebody with the know-how that you have, the skills you have, the understanding. You know, you went to university, so you understand how to do an online business or you help somebody else grow their asset base. In other words, help somebody else go from being a servant to a son. Sure. Because, and, and you have the capacity, there will be somebody who knows less about something than you do. Pass it on to somebody yeah, else sure. and grow them. Yeah. And then pray for the government and pray for God's intervention. Um when I was up in Namibia, I was speaking on this land issue, and it was a week or two before their second national land conference. And so uh, leaders need wisdom. Mm. You know, they are struggling as much as we are to say, and they've got a lot of information coming at them, a lot of rhetoric, a lot of heat, a lot of emotion. Mm. So pray for the leaders in the country mm. that they will fear God and that they will seek to have an eternal perspective on what they're doing so that they don't make sh uh, bad decisions for short-term political gains or just out of ignorance, yeah. just because they think, oh, yeah, of course we have to redistribute because that seems to be the fair thing yeah. to do. You yeah. know. Thanks, Brett. And I, I want to actually just on that point, before we go there, I'd like you just to pray over those who've been listening. Yeah. Uh, and just even as you've mentioned, you know, these are kind of the things that we need to pray into. If you won't mind yeah. anymore for the prayer, but also before you do that, just to tell people where they can find your book, where mm. they can where they can buy it, where they can read up more about it, the website, sure. those kinds of things. Sure. The website is yourmyland.com. So just Y-O-U-R myland.com and on there they can see where they can get the book it's it's up as an ebook on amazon mm. so they'll get that the second edition is up uh, this week and then they can uh purchase it from me they can just they can just email me okay. and um your email there brett b-r-e-double-t at i-n-s-t short for institute at i-n-s-t.net and um then uh Walder, we'll keep a set of books in your in your office. You okay. can sell it to them. Good. Uh, good, <laughs> okay. yeah, sure. So this book is 150 Rand, but it's actually an important topic. And so they can they can do that. And then on the website there's also the top ten questions. Yeah. Uh, and it's worth it's really worth considering those questions mm. and how would they like to respond they can respond in English Afrikaans Kosa whatever it's yeah. Google Forms they can pick yeah. their language you know? I saw there's quite a few languages yeah. Yeah. all 11 yeah that's right so they can certainly look at those questions and um, what I'm interested to know is to just look at those questions and, and say well what is what does the scripture say about those things and um you know, I'll just end with saying that, and there's, by the way, a few videos up there of the talks up yeah. in Namibia. Um, 
You know, I was speaking to some theologians from a prominent seminary in uh, the Western Cape. <laughs> Let me just leave it as vague <laughs> as that. And I said to these guys, hey, uh, these are the top 10 questions. Do you agree? They said, yeah, we agree. And I had theologians from overseas and so on review it. So people agree these are the top 10 questions, mm. plus minus. Well, they're pretty good questions anyway. Then I said to them, okay, what I'd like you to do is to go to your theologians around Africa, there's a group of them, and have them answer these questions. But I don't want to know their personal opinion. I want to know what Scripture says. Perfect. They believe Scripture says about these 10 questions. And the head of the seminary came back to me and said, I'm not going to do that. I said, why not? Well, you can't expect these guys to quote Scripture. I'm like, excuse me. Wow. These are PhD theologians masters I mean, in theology and all this kind of stuff, and you can't expect them to quote Scripture. This is the issue, right? The point is not what's the opinion of man, but what does Scripture actually yeah, say yeah. about property rights, land ownership, moving ancient boundaries, so buying and selling for a fair price, restitution, compensation. Mm -hmm. What does it say? I don't care what some theologian in Ghana, you know, what his view is. What I want to know what Scripture says. Mm. And so I would say, don't be a lazy Christian who's not prepared to seek out something. Mm. Proverbs 25 verse 2 says, It's the glory of God yeah. to conceal a matter, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. kings be yeah. a king, not a slapchat. That's my take. <laughs> and on that bombshell, Brett, will you pray for us? Yeah. Father, we thank you that none of this is a surprise to you. These questions of land property, intellectual property, ownership, ownership of resources, assets. It's as old as the hills, Lord, and people mm. grabbing other people's assets, people taking what isn't theirs, um, poor stewardship, good stewardship. These are, uh, are not new issues to you. This isn't a new South Africa issue, Lord. This mm. is an issue that's been there for thousands and thousands of years. And so you have answers and you have perspectives. Mm. And we want to pray, Lord, that you would shine the light in our minds, that you'd turn on the light in our minds, that you would quicken our spirits to understand from your perspective what do you say. Because at the end of the day, Lord, it's not what we think. Mm. It's not what our forefathers thought. It's not what we justify politically mm. or emotionally. But it's what your word says. Lord, I pray that those who listen to this podcast would be submitted to your word on this matter, would mm. seek out your word, uh, would understand the principles of Scripture, and then have wisdom to know how to apply them in their own lives. Mm. Lord, I pray that people would be stirred up to equip and empower others, to take people out of economic slavery into economic empowerment, out of spiritual slavery into sonship, Lord God. Mm. Lord, we do this... Uh, on a spiritual level for somebody. We want somebody to be born again. But what about economically? What about as people becoming not just slaves in Egypt, but sons and daughters who steward assets for your glory and your purposes? Mm -hmm. So we pray, Lord, for that. We pray for the leaders in the country. You instruct us to do so, and we pray for a fear of God for them. We pray, Lord God, that you would convict them Every time they want to put their party or their politics above the principles of your word. Yeah. And we pray, Lord, that you would um, even light a fire under the MPs, under the politicians, under those in government who claim to know you, mm. 
and yet who haven't done their homework on this issue, Lord God, that you'd convict them that they weren't talking out of, out of party platforms, but out of the principles of your word. So we pray yeah. for them, Lord God, that you would light the fire among the Christians first, Lord God, and that they would just get a fire lit in them on this topic, Lord God, that they will not be passive, that they'd not be lady, lazy, that they'd not be soundbite-oriented, mm. but they'd be grounded in your word on these issues, we pray. Yeah. So we ask this in Jesus' name. And we ask it for your glory. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Brett. And I'm sure we'll have you back. Thanks again so much, sometime. Waldo. Always great chatting to you. It's been a great pleasure just to sit down with Brett and hear some of the some of his thoughts and and just gain knowledge and and revelation actually from the research that he has done and how he has really delved into this topic to find solutions and find biblical answers. If you've been listening and, in, and, and you want to find out more or read up more or just, uh, as he said, um, get educated on the topic, please uh, visit the website that he's given and um, come pop into my office, get a book and, and read about it and, and, and inform, get informed so that you as a Christian know where you stand and and what you can do and how you can pray to see that uh, God really gets glorified in South Africa and that the nation thrives because of Christians um, standing in the gap and standing up for that which they believe. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye.